Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Church. Thank you so much for joining us for online worship. It's been great to meet so many of you, so many new people online, but I'm looking forward to you. I miss so many of your faces, hearing you sing, being together. I'm looking forward to next week. Just a week from today, on August 30th, we're going to have a, an outdoor service, a new thing for us as a church. We're going to gather outdoors, it's going to be park style. I'm going to give you some more information about that later at the end of the service, but at 9 o'clock, right here, one week from today, mark your calendars. I hope you can be there. For those of you who can't be there, maybe you live out of state or health reasons, you're not able to come, that's great. We're still going to have our online service, and I look forward to gathering with you as well. But if you were with us last week, you know what we've been doing as a church is this sermon series called Shift, talking about how all the things in the world around us are shifting, and how does God want us to respond? And last week we began to, to shift our attention into an unseen battle. We started looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and the Apostle Paul tells us there that, that we don't battle against flesh and blood. There's an unseen battle taking place. Do you remember last week I started the message talking about how I had termites in my house? And they might have been there as long as two years. And what I learned, the moment I learned I had termites, wasn't just that I had termites, not just that it was going to cost me money. I know some of you have gotten termite inspections. You've let me know since then. But in that moment I learned I have an unseen enemy in my home that's trying to destroy the, the structure of my home. And whether I acknowledge it or not, it's reality and it's there. And the same thing's true for many of us as believers in Jesus Christ. There's a battle taking place. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we've got an enemy that's trying to destroy us, to divide us, to distract us uh, from, from living the life that God's designed us to live. It's an unseen enemy. There's an unseen battle. There's unseen things that are taking place around us. And so when you've got strife, you've got division, you've got conflict, you might think your enemy is a, a political party or, or, or some social movement or, or some ideology or maybe it's that person at your office that you just drives you nuts or maybe it's a boss that's unfair, somebody who cheated you in a deal, somebody who betrayed you. And I want to tell you those things are real. They're really happening. But behind those things, whether you're in a lawsuit, an argument, a disagreement with your spouse, an argument with a sibling, like whatever's going on, there's an unseen battle taking place too. And you've got an enemy who wants to destroy you. And we've got a responsibility. And we saw the primary responsibility last week is to do one thing. Do you remember what it is? If we were live, I'd say, give me some interaction. Maybe you'd write in the comments right now what it is. Do you remember what it is? It said four times in just a couple verses. It's to stand. We're told to stand. In verse 11, Ephesians chapter 6, we're supposed to stand. In verse 13, to withstand the enemy. And we're supposed to stand. And then verse 14, therefore, stand. It's told us four times in just a few verses to stand. Stand. It's the primary exhortation in the passage to stand. But then we asked, how? How do we do that? I don't know if I can stand. Well, it's not in your strength. We stand in the strength of the Lord, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We have access to. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than ever could ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, that we'd be strengthened with the power of his might, same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that we would have the access to that. We do, it's in his strength, dependent upon him and a love relationship with him. But then it gets better. We don't do it alone. Do you remember that? Like the gladiators. As one, we come together. I challenge you, who do you have in your life that helps you love Jesus more? And we gave you opportunities for small groups. If you haven't done that, you can go to our website, get in a small group right now. But later that evening, what happened for me is I was going to my small group, and it was our first time meeting in person. The group started back in March, right when the pandemic hit. We've only met virtually. It was our first time getting together in person. So we're getting to know each other, and we're telling stories. We start talking about the passage. And we got a little bit of a head of where we were at from the, the Sunday morning experience into some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And one of the ladies in the group were talking about the armor of God, and she was talking about how, as a little girl, she believed 
in spiritual battles. She knew the Bible said it. She knew the importance of putting on, spiritually putting on armor, not literal figurative armor that she'd put on, but to spiritually do that. In the morning, she'd do that. Think about the helmet of salvation, the shoes, the gospel of peace, and the breastplate of righteousness. But one day she forgot when she got older. About 18 years later, she's living in New York City, and she told this story, and it just struck me. She said she was walking to her office, same path that she would walk every day to the office. She walked by the same homeless guy different times. She had seen him before, only this time he stopped her. And she didn't know what demon voices sound like. She never interacted with a demon before, but this raspy voice came out of this man. He stopped her and said, you have your armor on. She fled. like She got out of there at that moment. She started thinking about the, the importance of God's armor. She hadn't equipped herself that day, the belt of truth and the thinking about the helmet of salvation and the different elements that we're going to talk about as we walk through this passage of Scripture, I want to ask you this question. Do you have your armor on? Do you know the importance of having the right armor on? And today we're going to talk about putting on the armor of God. If you've got a copy of the Bible, will you join me today? I hope you've got a copy of the Bible at home in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Remember, we were talking about this book. It's only six chapters long. And the first three chapters of Ephesians are incredible. It's not anything that we have to do. It's all about... It's all about what God has done. It's all about who God is. It's all about in light of who God is and what God has done, who we are. That we have a new identity. If we're a follower of Jesus, that means we've been adopted into his family, that we're sons and daughters of the king. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That he's deposited in us the Holy Spirit. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we've been made alive in Christ. Amen? Like, if you were here, I'd want, that's one of the things I missed about you being here. Maybe write in the, the comments. Like, what do you think about that? You think about your identity in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And that takes, that takes a powerful God to be able to do that, one that can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's what the first three chapters talk about. But then in chapter 4, chapter 4 changes. Chapter 4 is in light of all those things that are true about God, that are true about what He's done, that are true about you. Therefore, here's how we should live. Walk worthy of the calling for which you've been called. And then the passage starts talking about in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, about what it looks like in church and relationships, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that, that we're not supposed to steal, we're supposed to be honest. And it, it, we can get angry, but don't let the, the sun go down in your wrath. Don't let the anger get bitterness and how we relate with one another and relationships and marriage and how a husband's supposed to love his wife and how his wife's supposed to respect her husband and the kids. and like It gets real practical, but it's all ideal. And people are asking a question. I don't know if we have any parents watching today, but if you're a parent, you're watching right now and you're actually paying attention, kids aren't distracting you and all that. We've all been asked the same question before, right? Why? Why? Why is the sky blue, Mom? Why, why, why do I have two eyes, but I can only see one thing, Dad? Why, why do I have to clean my room? And like, if you've been asked the why questions as a parent, especially like that last one, the temptation is to say this, right? Like, we all, none of us wanted to say it because our parents said it, but because I said so. <laughs> if there's ever been a parent that has the right to say that to us, it's our Heavenly Father. But that's not what he says here in this passage. See, so far there's all these situations about how things happen in marriage and how things happen with kids and how things are supposed to happen in church and how all this is supposed to work together, but then the reader's going to be asking the question, why is this so hard? And God tells us the answer in Ephesians chapter 6. He says the word finally. He's not just like wrapping everything up here. He's driving everything home here. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. There's multiple, there's plural, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, in light of all that, 
take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We all know that if you have different occasions, you wear different outfits. And so if you're going to go to the beach, you're not going to dress like you're going to dress for other occasions. You're going to dress with a comfortable shirt. You might have swim trunks on and flip-flops, maybe a visor, some sunglasses. But if you're going to go to a job interview, you're not going to dress like you're going to the beach. For a job interview, you're going to wear your best clothes. For me, that's going to be a suit. I'm going to put a tie on. I'm going to have a pocket square. I'm going to be ready to go that day. I'm going to dress to impress. And for you, maybe it's a, a dress that you're going to wear, your best business outfit. Maybe for some of you, it's a tuxedo. You know, to a black tie event, or you're going to wear a gown. But if you got your best clothes on, you're not going to wear your best clothes if you're going into battle. If I'm going into battle, I'm going to wear battle gear. If I'm going into a fight, I want to make sure that I got the right equipment. I want to have the helmet so that my head's protected. I want to, I want to wear the, the gloves and get the body armor just in case whatever the enemy throws at me. And I've got to have the right equipment. So I'm going to be, have my pack on and I'm going to be ready based on the occasion is why I'm going to wear the outfit. Probably weren't expecting that many wardrobe changes today. But we all know the concept that, that you wear different outfits for different occasions. Here's the problem, I think, for many Christians is that many of us, spiritually speaking, are wearing the wrong outfit. Maybe because of something that we've heard about Christianity, maybe from church, maybe from TV preacher, maybe some book that we read, that, that we kind of take the American dream and we, we sprinkle some Bible verses into it and we think that the, the, the Christian life is supposed to be our best life now. It's all about here. And so we're dressed like we're going on a vacation. Some of us, we think maybe because of where we grew up, maybe a legalistic background, or, or it's always Christianity's been of all the things you need to do, and you need to do this stuff, and you must do that stuff, and you've got to do that, and you're never doing enough. And, it's, and you think you've got to impress. And so you're trying to impress everybody with your spirituality. When in reality, the inside might be hollow. I love what Warren Wearsby says when he talks about the Christian life. I think he says it best when he says that there comes a point in time for each one of us that we realize that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we've got to have our battle gear on. And that's why in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is telling us to put on the whole armor of God. We must put on all of God's armor. And we're going to start walking through that in this series. And right now we're going to look at today just a few of the pieces. We'll get to the rest of it next week. But, but today, just looking at the first piece, it's ironically not even a piece of armor. It's the belt of truth. See, the belt of truth isn't even a piece of armor, but it's foundational to the rest of the armor. Now, people, when they study this passage of Scripture, you'll see different Bible commentators and different notes. If you've got a study Bible, they'll say, some people think that what Paul's doing, because the, the book of Ephesians is a prison epistle, and he might actually be chained to a Roman soldier, is that he's looking at the person that he's sitting next to, and he's coming up with this analogy of what the Christian life needs to have, and so he uses something memorable of the, something they would see every day, that people that would read this, they, they would see a Roman soldier all the time. But then other people look at it, and they see the divine warrior, that the prophet Isaiah talks about. It's the Lord himself and what he wears going in, into battle. And, and I believe both are true. And I believe he is giving us a picture of what Isaiah paints. But then he's also showing us for the sake of the readers and those who would see it in that, that first century time period, that the actual Roman soldier. And it's interesting, when he starts at the belt of truth, he's actually starting with the first piece they would put on that was foundational to, to the rest of everything that would, that would be put on. In fact, to picture it, if you're thinking about what the original readers would have heard you got to know that the Roman soldier, he would wear a tunic as his normal garment for all the time. 
And a tunic would just be a really loose-fitting piece of fabric. Think of a, a sheet that somebody cut a hole for the head in and holes for the arms in, and you put it on, and that's fine, but it's not good for battle with all that loose material. And so what you do with the belt is you would gather all that material together, and if you're going to have hand-to-hand combat or you were going to run or you're going to do you've got to get that together so it doesn't hinder you, it doesn't slow you down. And other pieces of the armor would depend upon the belt. And so when you put that breastplate on, some of the weight of the breastplate would be on the belt. When you put your sword on, you're going to attach it to the belt. And so what you find out is the belt is foundational. It's not a fashion piece. It's foundational to the rest of the armor. But what is the belt? Did you see in the passage? The belt is truth. It's God's word. It's foundational to the Christian life. But here's what happens in the Christian life. As we start to slip with our word, maybe our time in the word, with our grasp of the word, applying the word in our lives, the, the truth that God has given us, we avail ourselves to the enemy. It, it's kind of like an experience I had this week with my daughter and I. We were at her soccer practice, and she practices soccer. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but WREL soccer fields are almost Wake Forest and kind of North Raleigh, Perry Creek Road. And If you haven't been out there, it's huge. There's over 20 soccer fields, hundreds of people out there, and I, and I dropped her off for practice. And I decided she's going to be out there working out. I'm going to exercise too. So I was going to go on a run. And I've kind of got a routine when I go on a run. And I've got this belt. And it's, it's, it's kind of nerdy. Like it holds water bottles in the back. It's kind of like a reverse fanny pack. It's got this little pouch. And my routine is that I take the pouch and sometimes I put my phone in there. Sometimes I hang on to my phone like I did that night. And sometimes I drop, put my keys in there. I put my keys to the car in that pouch. I went on my run. It's about a mile loop around. I went around a few times. And I decided I was going to watch the rest of her practice started talking to some of the other parents. And then right when my daughter was coming out of practice, I grabbed my, my nerd pouch and I realized it was unzipped. And I didn't have a key to my car. Now here's the problem with that. Not only did I lose my key to my car in that moment, I only own one key to that car. And so I didn't have any way to access my, I couldn't call my wife at home and have her bring another key. Like I was locked out of the car. And so I looked at my daughter at that moment. I said, we gotta find this key. Here's the other problem. It was about 8.15. So living here in North Carolina, you know, 815, it's not totally dark, but it's getting real dark and it's going to get dark fast. I said, we've got to rewalk my path. Now, I'd run the same way around this place, but sometimes it was like trying to social distance and get away from somebody, run around a tree, run around. And so the path wasn't exactly the same every time. So we're walking. I'm telling her, go around that tree. Do you see anything? And we're trying to walk as fast as we can before it gets dark. And finally, we're about half mile into this thing, until 845, 9 o'clock. And I think, I'm going to probably have to call Shanna. I don't want to call Shanna because I know a couple things. One, she's got to work the next morning. That means she gets up at 4.30 a.m., which also means she's already in bed. So she's going to be irritated. I'm going to be humbled because I've lost, like, what am I going to say in this moment? And then I started realizing all the things that were connected to this key. Not only could I not drive my car home, but my glasses were inside the car. My wallet was inside the car. My sermon notes were inside the car. Everything I needed for the next day was inside. Oh, and not only that, but the next day? Oh, the next day I'm supposed to take the kids somewhere in the morning. Now I'm not going to be able to do that. So we're going to have to call some friends, and they're going to have to take our kids. And so I call Shannon up, and I start telling her what's going on. She can't, she's groggy, then she can't believe it. Now we've got some marital tension that's happening in this moment. And so then I get off the phone, and, and I'm not kidding. This is how this happens, right? I look at my phone. And it's only about 3% battery left. And I'm supposed to be using my flashlight to try and find this key. And I get my daughter back around. It's about 9 o'clock when we get back to the car. Now it's totally dark. And oh, by the way, we were the last practice. Everybody's gone. The field lights are down. We're sitting out there and we're vulnerable. And I didn't realize until I lost the key how foundational that key was to all these different areas of my life. 
Do you know a believer? That's what God's truth is like for you. So many things are connected here. And when do you let the truth slip? Whether it's the application of the truth, whether it's your time in the truth, you let the truth get twisted. You start to avail yourself to the attacks of the enemy and it impacts every area of your life. Just like my losing the key impacted the tension in my it'll impact your marriage. Just like it made me vulnerable out there standing in a dark parking lot with my daughter and she's wondering, what's going on? What are we going to do? It makes you vulnerable to attacks from the enemy. Just like inside the car, and the analogy could go on and on and on, but I love the part about how it impacted other people's lives. We had to ask other people for help. There's always a ripple effect when you let the truth slip from your life. And so you ask yourself, why is it that the first piece that the Apostle Paul tells us in, in this armor that's so important isn't even a piece of armor? It's because the truth is so foundational in our lives. Not only because God is truth, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That God is truth and that he cannot lie. That he, he's always given us truth to us. But our enemy is the deceiver. And he's been deceiving since the beginning. Go back to the garden and the Garden of Eden and what happened with Eve. And remember, it's actually a battle of truth. It's not about a piece of fruit. And what gets said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 is that the serpent is cunning and crafty and he starts to twist what God says. You can't eat any of the trees. God didn't say you can eat any of the trees. And so she corrects him and says, surely God didn't say, surely you won't die. Like It's a battle for truth. And here's what you need to know about that. Every decision... Every deception, there's always more than meets the eye. Every decision, every deception, there's always more than meets the eye. You're a young person, old person, every person, your decisions are so important. There's always more than you see happening and what's happening. That night when I was running, I was listening to one of my favorite pastors, Tony Evans, and he says it like this. If you, all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to see. If what you see is all you see, you do not see all there is to see. The way that Scott says it is this. There's more than meets the eye. And every decision, every deception, there's always more happening there. And we know that with Eve, right? Because that sin had a ripple effect. And if you don't know the effects of that sin in that moment, look around. It's all around you today. Our world is broken and there are problems everywhere. You can trace it all back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. And it was a battle over truth. And then you go through and you start seeing this battle of deception continually in the lives of people. And you think about Abraham. Abraham was given God's word. He's given a promise that he's going to have a son. But then he tries to help God out, right? In Genesis chapter 16, he tries to help God out. And he goes, instead of with his wife Sarah, he goes with this woman Hagar, her servant. And he goes around God's plan to try and help God's plan. And it was deception that led to that. But you know what? There was more happening there than just that. It wasn't just a mistake by one guy, a dumb thing that he did. Could have messed up his marriage. No. All the problems we see in the Middle East, you can trace them back to right in that passage of Scripture, right there. And what was happening there behind the scenes, the unseen battles, the enemy's trying to stop the birth of the Messiah, the line of Jesus. There's always more than what we see. And Satan's deceptions are dangerous. It's a battle over truth. Think about David. If you know much about David, you know at least, at least you know that David, maybe there's David and Goliath and then David and Bathsheba, right? Like those are the stories that everybody knows. What about his sin with Bathsheba? He believed the deception that you could keep your sin in darkness and no one would know and no one would be affected. And that's just not true. God loves you too much to let you continually hide your sin. Either you're going to confess it, he's going to expose it, something's going to happen, he's going to bring it into the light, the light of truth, so you can be free. So he uses a guy named Nathan to bring, bring the sin out into the to see, but even when it was hidden, David talked about it in the Psalms, right? Like, when, when, when I hid my sin, my bones wasted away. 
And he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Satan can't take your salvation, but he wants to steal the joy of your salvation. There's a battle taking place. Every decision, every deception, and it's dangerous. But if you go through those in the Bible, there's one that stands out from all the others. And it's Jesus. Right before he starts his public ministry, right? He goes into the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and being tempted by Satan. And we get a glimpse of some of that. We talked about last week how Satan left him until an opportune time. But you think about those three that we get a glimpse at. Remember, he's been fasting, and so Satan says to him, turn these stones to bread. And what does Jesus say back? It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words that come from the mouth of God. He knew it was about truth. And what does he say every time that we get an example of his conversation with Satan there? He said, it is written. It is written. I was reading an article this week, and it was showing some of the things, some of the deceptions that we oftentimes believe as followers of Jesus. And it showed scriptures that countered that. And said, it is written, these different things that made me think we should all have an it is written battle plan for Satan. Like we read in this passage of scripture that he's got schemes for you. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy for you. What's your strategy to battle that? You know some of your weaknesses. You know some of the lies, the deception that you are susceptible to. What does God's truth speak into those moments? What is God's truth saying to that? That's your it is written plan. Like I, I told you last week, I alluded to that I'd asked some Facebook friends to be vulnerable and share some of the struggles they have. What are some lies that you struggle with or have struggled with before? And different people wrote different things. Let me share a couple of them with you, actual statements by people. Like One gentleman wrote this. He said, my dad told me many times, that I would never amount to anything. The damage he did did damage to me for the most of my life. Now think about that for a moment. Imagine that your dad said that to you, and maybe he did, and if so, I'm sorry. What's being under attack there? Your value, your worth, your identity in in that moment. And so then think about the the opportunity that gives Satan to step in and say things like, see, you're not good enough. You'll never do enough. You'll never accomplish enough. Even what you did, that's not good enough. And, And the lies that come in that, what would be an it is written plan for that? How about this? You go to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at your identity in Christ. It is written, what has God done? Who is he and who does he make me? It is written that I've been adopted into his family. I'm a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is written that he paid a price beyond what I could even fathom, beyond what I could ask or imagine, so that I could be bought at a price. It is written. It it is written that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I've been made alive in Christ. It is written, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, He prepared for me good works for me to walk in before time began. What are you talking about, enemy? The deception. It's already been written. This is already true. These lies come. What is your it is written plan? Somebody else wrote this. One person said, Satan uses the lie that if I struggle with sin, that I must not really be saved. Another person wrote, how could God forgive me for? And then just put a blank. Fill in the blank. You put in your sin. Put it part of their story. Put in their sin. Both of those lies, lies have to do with condemnation. So what if you came back when you started hearing that? Well, God could never forgive me for this. Well, he already did. That was his work at the cross. Remember, there's always more happening than just what you see at that deception or that decision. And so if you decide as a follower of Jesus to live like you're condemned. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are under condemnation. That God's wrath is coming against you. But if you placed your faith in Jesus, that already took place at the cross. He already paid for that sin. He's already been condemned for that sin. So now you're going to be condemned too? That's actually, if you let that happen in your life, you're making a commentary on the cross. See, what Satan's trying to do in your life is not just ruin you and destroy you. He's trying to discredit the cross of Christ. He's trying to bring disrepute and steal glory from God. It's been a scam and scheme from the beginning. 
And so if you're suffering with condemnation, you're thinking about condemnation as a believer in Jesus. What about this? It is written, Romans 8, 1, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or, or the sin keeps coming back up from your past. It is written, he is removed from me as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgressions from me, that he was bruised for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquity. My sin that was like scarlet is now white as snow. It is written. These things have been written down. It is truth. You buckle on the truth. It's written. If you confess your sins, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's what truth is. So when the deception comes, what is your it is written plan? Some of you worry a lot, struggle with anxiety. I know what that's like. It is written. Nobody gets any taller, and nobody gets to live any longer because of your worry. God, he takes care of the birds. He's got this. Some of you are stressed out right now. You look at what's happening in our world. It's, it's wild, right? Like it's chaos, and there's a, there's a pandemic happening. You don't know about jobs, and like all these things happening. Can I tell you something? Follower of Jesus, believer in Jesus, you're going to be okay. How do you know that? You don't know what's going to happen to me. You know, even if the worst thing happens to you, I know our God, and I know what he does. And I know he takes the worst stuff, and he does his best work. Think about the cross. He took the worst sin that ever happened in all of human history. The murder of his son, Jesus Christ, and he used that for your greatest good and his greatest glory, the salvation of you and me and any who would believe on him. You're going to be all right. Because it's been written. It's been done. It is finished. And he has the victory. We're in a battle, but we're fighting a defeated enemy. And Warren Wiersbe also said, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. But to experience that, we've got to use the armor that God's given, the way that he's equipped us, the resources that he's given to us. And the first one is the belt of truth. But the next one, the next one rests on that. The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. Look at what it said in the passage of Scripture that we read. It says here in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. In verse 14, stand therefore. And then having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the concept of that is pretty easy. If you've watched any movies where there's been, you know, Roman soldiers, you always see they come out with that, that shield on their chest. They've all got the perfect pecs, right? And like the 12 pack. Wouldn't it be funny one time if somebody came out with a dad bod, <laughs> Roman thing with man boobs, and gut hanging out, thing and they're going through there. But you're not going to see that because it's supposed to show it's, it's a defensive piece, right? And so I had on earlier the, the body armor that's on there. Most of you watched a movie before or a TV show or maybe your favorite character gets shot. And you think they're dead, but then you realize they had the vest on, a bulletproof vest or a flak jacket. That's the idea of the breastplate. And so what a breastplate does is it, it protects the vital organs, the lungs and your heart. And we read in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. Have you ever read a proverb like that and thought to yourself, how, how do I do that? Well, this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how to do that. It's a, what is the breastplate? It's righteousness. Okay, here's the confusing thing about that, is that when you read the Bible, there's multiple kinds of righteousness. Like, there's what theologians call imputed righteousness. That means righteousness that's credited to you. And that's what happened the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Is there was an exchange that took place. That, that you put your sins on Him on the cross. He became your sin. And then He put on you His righteousness. So that, that what happens is when God, if you're a follower of Jesus, the moment you trusted Christ, when God looks at you, even if you sinned two minutes before that, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. The Bible says it like this, he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Not about your behavior, it's about what's been credited to you, what's been given to you, what's been placed on you. And so you have that righteousness, but is that what's being talked about in Ephesians 6? I don't think so. I don't think that's the case or else we wouldn't have to do anything. And here it's telling us to put it on. I believe what he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6 is practical righteousness. It's living this out. 
See, there's positional righteousness. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have positional righteousness with God. Nothing you can do, nothing changes that, nothing your enemy can do, no battle changes that, no, no virus changes that, no circumstances change that. But practical righteousness is living out that reality in our daily lives. And that's a battle. And we're all fighting that battle. It was John Owen, famous theologian, who said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What I believe that Paul's talking about here when he talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness is a practical pursuit of the righteousness of the character of Christ. That when people looked at our lives, they would see that, that we're holy, we're set apart, we're different because we live different because we're demonstrating Jesus. And so, and so we're pursuing that righteousness. Are you pursuing righteousness? And here's the struggle with that. Even Paul talks about this, Romans 7. I don't do what I want to do. There's things that I want to do that I don't do, and I do things that I don't want to do, and it's this battle. Here's why. And let's not give Satan too much credit, right? We're talking about our enemy here. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Like he, he, he's got schemes, and he's got plans, and he's got demons and all that, but he's also got almost like a spy. Like I saw a story this week. I was, I was shaving in the morning. I was listening to my little Echo Dot speaker give me a little news brief, and they were saying that we had a CIA agent that was arrested for spying. And at first you're like, oh, yeah, that's, well, that's what they do, right, is they spy. But then it was that it was a CIA, somebody who worked for the United States government that was spying on the United States government. His name is Alexander Ma. If you want to look it up, you can see the story. And if you read the story, you'll see they even have him on videotape selling secrets to China for $50,000 that were secrets he got as a CIA agent. I think, well, that's, I mean, we know we got people that want to destroy us. We know there's other countries that don't like what we do. They want to get our information. We, but an enemy within? See, follower of Jesus, we've got an enemy within. It's called our old nature. And there's this battle that, yes, we've been given a new nature, and yes, the Holy Spirit's been deposited in us, but we still want sin. And so there's this struggle, this tension here that happens in our lives. And, and what it is is when we say we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, going, we're trying to die to that. We've, we've been buried with Christ in baptism, right? Died to that. So we're going to live out the truth, what's already true. It is written. We've been freed to walk in. So if we believe that, but there's these moments when we don't. And that's the struggle back and forth. And that's the importance of the breastplate of righteousness. Because when we decide to sin, it's like we're handing the enemy an arrow or a bullet to shoot at it. Like, think how many of you have had moments before there's an opportunity to speak truth, and, and then you hear this little voice that says, you can't say anything about that. You're a hypocrite. You know the best thing you can do? Acknowledge your sin. You're right. You know what? I've blown it, but it's written as far as the east is from the west. That's already been paid for. There is no condemnation. This is who I am. And yeah, I did mess up. So let's just put that out there. Let's get that in the light so you can't hold me in a prison of secrecy and disarm the enemy with truth as you pursue righteousness and acknowledging that we're all in a battle. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we pursue it? Like, how does that happen? It happens through dependence because you can't do it on your own. You need the strength of the Lord. I told you about losing that key. And we were out there at the WRAL soccer fields, and it's, you know, pitch black out. And I called my wife, and she came up there. But I couldn't just leave my car there. Like, all that, my stuff was in the car. So with my 3% battery on my phone, I had called a locksmith. I called him up, and I said, hey, I, I have this car out here. I locked myself out of it, and I lost the key, and it's the only key I have to the car. Can you help me? Said, yeah, no problem. Said, no problem. Okay. Because I'll be there in 20 minutes. Then he got off the phone. I'm like, okay. They told him where I was at, and he got off the phone. And then my daughter said, does he have a key to your car? I was like, no, I don't, I don't even have a key to my car. How does he have a key to my car? What's he going to do to get here? I said, I don't know. I don't have any idea how any of this is going to happen. And this guy shows up. His name's Eli. So I walk up. I'm like, hey, I'm Scott. He says, are you the owner of this car? <laughs> We're standing on the parking lot. It's 
pitch black outside. It's the only car out there. There aren't a bunch of other people out there. So I said, no, I'm not the owner of this car. I'm hiring you to steal it, though. Could you help me out? And I didn't say that. I said, yeah, I'm Scott. I'm the owner of this car. He goes, oh, because on the phone, you sounded a lot younger. <laughs> I did say back to him, I appreciate your backhanded compliment. And, and then, because right then at that moment, what I really needed was more humble pie. I didn't already feel humbled enough. My wife's irritated at me in this situation. And then what he did is in the next two minutes, he opened the door of my car, and then he plugged this device in to the, the fuse panel. I was sitting on the front seat of the car, pulling up some codes or something. Then he looked at the VIN number on my car, typed some stuff in this device, and then he goes into his van. He comes back out about 10 minutes later with a key to my car. Started my car, worked for my car. I don't know how he did all that. See, I needed someone that knew stuff I didn't know that could do stuff I couldn't do. In order for me to be able, I was dependent. And see, we've got one who, not only does he know stuff we don't know, but he can do stuff that we cannot do on our own. Because what happens when you pursue righteousness, if you do it on your own, that's called self-righteousness. It's actually sin. But when you pursue righteousness and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and His strength working in you, changing your desires, drawing you to Him, helping you live out the realities that He's already accomplished, that's the pursuit of righteousness. Do you have on the breastplate of righteousness? Are you killing sin or is sin killing you? We need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness so that we can be ready to share the gospel. That's the third piece that we see here. It's actually shoes that are talked about here. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, it talks about shoes and the readiness to share the gospel. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture because there's two ways you can interpret this. There's one is that the gospel is what readies you for the gospel of peace. Or there's the translations that, that many people will use that are, that is, are you ready to share the gospel of peace? The New Revised Standard Version actually translates it to make that really clear. It says this, As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And see, it's acknowledging either way that we're in this battle. And the enemy has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And the question for us is, is you, are you ready? Are you ready because of the gospel? Or are you ready to share the gospel? And either way, the mission's the same. And some people talk about how there's only one, one weapon that's offensive in this. No, there's more than one weapon that's offensive. And the shoes are one of them. The shoes are taking, taking back ground from the kingdom of darkness. And how do we do that? Is that we share and God does a work that we can't do. And doing the same thing he did in us, he takes people that are spiritually dead, makes them spiritually alive. And so the question for you is, are you ready to share that news? And it's part of our vision as a church, right? We want to see this whole city redeemed. We want to see RDU come to Christ. We want to be a city on a hill that we let our light so shine before men they would see our lives and they would glorify not us but our Father. How does that happen? Well, we've got to experience spiritual transformation so that we would go out, be ready for gospel saturation in our city. How, how, how does that happen? Are you ready? I remember one time, I preached a message. I was standing up on the stage. I was talking to the drummer. I remember specifically standing by the drum stand and this young lady came up to me. She's about 17, 18 years old. She was very sincere. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, can you tell me how to be ready to share the gospel with my friends? Now, here's the reality. Like, I've taken classes on this. I've had classes in seminary. I know the four spiritual laws. I know the Romans Road. The Romans Road is a series of verses in the book of Romans that lead someone to Christ. There's different principles. There's diagnostic questions. Like, there's all kinds of techniques that I could, ABCs of the gospel, admit, believe, confess. Like, we could have talked about all that stuff. You know what I said to her? I looked her in the eye. I gave her the best answer that I have. I said, fall in love with Jesus. 
because we naturally talk about what we love. The more in love you are with Jesus, the more you're going to talk about Jesus. I think, think about it. If you find a show you love on Netflix, they don't at the end of the episode say, if you'd like to tell people about this show, then take this class and we'll talk about how to talk about it. No. You just tell people. You get a new boyfriend, new girlfriend. You don't, no one has to say to you, here's how you talk about your You just do it. You eat a meal you love. Like anything that you love and you think is amazing, you talk about. It's like the woman at the well. She didn't have answers for every skeptic's question. She just said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And some of you are afraid, like, I'm not going to have all the answers. Okay, just say, I don't know. Like the guy who was blind, Jesus healed him. The Pharisees are asking him questions. He goes, I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. Like, I've been transformed. You can be, and he says to them, do you want to be his disciples too? Oh, no, no, I don't want to be. So it's not your job to, to convert somebody. If I give you techniques that would guarantee conversion, if there was a code that would do, they wouldn't be converts to Jesus. They'd be converts to you. If you could argue them into the kingdom, they'd be, they have mentally changed their mind, but has their heart been transformed? Because the problem is they're, they've been darkened by the enemy's lies, the unbelievers, and that somebody's got to turn the lights on. Do you know what happened for me when I was looking for that key? The next morning, I drove up to that soccer complex. Do you know how much easier it was to find that key? I found the key. It took me about 10 minutes, walking around the path that I was on. Because the sun was out, the light was there, and I could see. So we need God to open the eyes of non-believers. The question for us is, are you ready to share? Are you ready? Are you buckled with the belt of truth? Are you wearing the breastplate? Are you ready to share the gospel because you've been transformed and you're being transformed? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to know you because of your son, Jesus Christ, because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, that we can be followers of yours, that you've opened our eyes. And Father, I pray for anyone who has entrusted your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior yet, that right now, in this moment, would be the moment of salvation for them. And if you don't know Jesus, just pray this with me. God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my sin to you. I believe that your son, Jesus, died on the cross and rose from the dead. If you believe that in your heart, then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and he says that you will be saved. And right now, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And Father, I pray for believers. I pray that you give them the strength to continue to fight this battle, to pursue righteousness. The ones that are believing lies, I pray you give them, and it is written plan that you'd buckle the truth around them. Father, you'd, you'd use us to demonstrate the truth, to share the truth, and that you'd use us to open the end, to shine your light, that our lives would be so bright in this city that people would be drawn to you, whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic, whether there's tensions or not tensions, whether there's a political race or not a political race, they'd be drawn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Southbridge Church family, thank you so much for taking a moment and worshiping with us today. We love getting into the Word together and singing songs together. And I told you I'd give you some more information about our next week's worship service. One of the options is going to be for the first time in a long time in person, outdoors. Before I do that, though, let me just share a couple other things that are happening in our church. One is simply this, that we're going to be having today on campus a blood drive. It's going to be from 1 to 6 p.m. We've already impacted over 400 lives to the blood drives we've been doing this summer. And you get an opportunity to be a part of one again today. If you want more details to sign up, go to our website, sfchurch.com. And then also, you've heard us talk about VBS. And we've already talked about the incredible job that Pastor Brad has done. We can always give him another hand. The work that they do in their children's ministry to connect kids to Jesus is incredible. But during a global pandemic, they not only sent packets home for people, but equipped families to be able to host VBS in their homes. We had more kids participate than we've ever had before, over 140 elementary age kids, those preschool kids, and it was incredible. But I wanted to pause and just celebrate that I saw some of you online posting pictures that not only did you have it for your kids, but you brought in other kids from the neighborhood. 
and, and you did it in your garage or in your backyard, play different games. And, and so I just wanted to say, one of the things we value as a church is owning our own impact. And you did that. And so I want to take a moment and just say thank you and celebrate that. And I don't know what seeds were planted and what lives were changed, but I rejoice with you. If you've got a story to tell, I would love to hear it. Please email it to me. And then just kind of a matter of housekeeping. Um, some of you know our student ministry has been gathering on Sunday evenings here on campus live, and they've been doing that from 7.30 to 8.30. I want you to note that tonight, and starting from tonight going forward, we're going to move that time up as school's getting started and all that stuff to 7 p.m. So from 7 to 8, it's going to be a hangout for 6 to 12th graders. And if you've got a 6 to 12th grader, they haven't been coming, they're welcome to come. If they've been coming, just know the time's changed. And there's going to be workers here and different people here until 8.30, but the, the program's going to be from 7 to 8 tonight. And Southbridge Church family, I told you I'd give you some more details about our service coming up. And, and we're going to be gathering next week, just like we've been doing online, 9 and 11, but we're also going to be adding, starting August 30th and going forward, an outdoor in-person service. Now, I'm excited about this. I think that it's going to feel like a family reunion. As we come together, we haven't seen each other, some of us, in a long time, about six months for some of us. And we're going to see each other's faces. We're going to sing songs. We're going to hear each other singing. We're going to have a, a great time of fellowship. We're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to have, our worship team's going to be leading us in, in some, some worship. I want you to know it's going to be a pretty simple service, pretty casual time. The field's going to be kind of like coming to a park for a worship service. If you're wondering about seating, bring your own chairs and, and come out here. Bring a blanket. You can control how you set up your seating, what your distance is from people, how you have your kids in that group, all that stuff. Now, if you don't have a chair, some of you shouldn't bring a chair. Some of you can't carry a chair. Totally get all that. We're going to have chairs for you. Maybe you just forget. Maybe you bump into some guy at Harris Teeter and you decide to bring him to service with you and you don't have a chair for him. We'll have a chair for him. And in case you're wondering, this isn't just like church members only service. Just bring your friends. Anybody who's comfortable coming. Bring friends, family members, neighbors, that random guy that you bump into at the store, somebody that you see on the way out there. If you get in a fender bender and you start talking to that person, say, come on over to my church. That's great. We'd love to have anybody because we exist to connect our whole city to Jesus for life change. We're not just here for our church family. And so we think it's going to be an incredible time. You might have kids. You might wonder, what should I bring my kids? Here's what I want you to know. The kids are going to be in the service, but we've thought about your kids. We've prepared for your kids. And so Pastor Brad and his team with Bridge Kids have prepared for kids an age-appropriate worship program packet. They're going to be handed out during the service. And so feel free to bring your kids. We'd love to have your kids here. We hope that your kids are here. I've got kids. They're going to make noise. That's not a problem. We've got stuff for them during the sermon time that's going to be age-appropriate. And so bring your kids. You might be wondering about masks. Do we have to wear a mask? Masks are optional. So no, you don't have to wear a mask. If you want to wear a mask, you're free to wear a mask. We believe in the outdoor setting that we're going to be able to social distance from one another and have a, a safe environment for everybody that's there. And we're excited about being together, but we recognize not everybody's going to be comfortable coming to the service. I want you to know as your pastor, if you're not able to come, maybe you're immune compromised, or maybe for, for various reasons, you're not going to be able to come to the service. You're, you're still part of our church, and we love you. And we're still going to have our online services. We're still going to gather at 9 and 11 online. And we want you to be a part of that. And we're thankful for you being a part of that. For those of you that are going to be here in person, you might have more questions than the things that I've mentioned. Go to our, our website, sfchurch.com. Look at our re-entry plan. And there's answers to a bunch of questions there. There's more details than I've even shared. And if you've got questions that I haven't mentioned or that aren't on the website, email us. Email us at info at sfchurch.com. Whatever questions you may have or, or thoughts you may have or ideas to even make it better that you might have, we'd love to hear from you. Church family, we love you. We're looking forward to worshiping with you again next week, whether it's online or in person. We're pumped. God's been moving. He's been changing lives. We believe he's going to continue to do it, and we believe the best is yet to come. 
And so as we wrap up today's worship service, one of the things we oftentimes do as a church is we'll read a passage of scripture together. Let me tell you why we do that. One of the reasons is it's a way for you to hide God's word in your heart. We'll oftentimes read the same passages over and over again. So will you read today's passage with me? It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.